Tonight we'll be in the book of Matthew, chapter 13. Last week we began a new series about the parables of Jesus, and we talked about uh, why did Jesus teach in parables, and why did he uh, undertake this method during the second year of his ministry, his public ministry on earth. And so tonight we're going to jump in. Um, We have planned about 12 parables is what I've planned out for this series, and so we'll we'll look at those um, over the next couple of months here and consider those in turn and what they have to teach us. And, and really, um, if you want to kind of break them down into a couple <clears throat> large categories, the first five we're going to look at deal with entering the kingdom of God, about how one comes into the kingdom of God, how one uh, um, enters, is made part of that, um, and the effect of, of God's word in our hearts to that end. And then the last several that we look at, seven there, have to do with living in God's kingdom. How do we live out the new life that is found in Christ alone? Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin our time here tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power therein to change our lives. Lord, as we consider tonight the very words of Jesus as he taught in this parable to challenge our hearts towards how much uh, we hear and receive your word, Lord. Uh, we're, we're challenged even tonight to realize that just hearing the word or having some kind of emotional response to it does not necessarily mean there has been true heart change, but we must um, personally come to you and, and react and, and um, act on what we have heard. We ask now that you would quiet our hearts and our minds May you use your word tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. So tonight we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, looking at verses 1 through 9, and then we'll skip down to verses 18 through 23, and we're considering tonight the parable of the four soils. Fruit and and vegetable plants or, or trees have a way of letting you know whether or not you've done a good job. Because, uh, you, you know, you can put in the time in preparation for it. You can put in effort to prepare the soil. You can work all throughout the season trying to keep conditions favorable for the growth of whatever it is that you're trying to cultivate. However, until that, that fruit or vegetable begins to grow, it begins to come in and, and you, maybe even until you fully have, have begun to enjoy the fruits of that, you may not be completely sure you've gone down the right path right? That you may not be completely sure that, that I've done everything I need to do in order to see fruit come from that. Spiritually, okay, just as fruit on a tree is an indication of true growth and true internal things that have taken place, spiritually, fruit is an indicator of true growth in God. The outward manifestation of God's inward change tells us a lot about what's going on in the heart of a person. The heart's response to the word of God, then, is the focus of Jesus' parable here in Matthew 13 that we'll see tonight. I just want to remind us very quickly that we said last week that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning given to reveal and conceal God and reveal the hearts of man. Jesus taught in these parables 
to conceal God from those who truly didn't want to know about God, yet at the same time revealing the deeper truths of God and his kingdom to those who sought after him. And along the way, it reveals the heart of the one who is listening. If he is truly one who wants to learn from God and to hear what he has to say, or if he's one who wants nothing to do with God. And and Jesus, he, he really pictures four different people tonight in this parable. And what we're going to see from this passage is that receptive hearts hear and receive God's word and thereby produce fruit. Let's consider first the setup of this text in Matthew 13, verses 1 through 3. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. This is the first in a series of parables in Matthew 13 about the kingdom of God. And many times you'll see these parables lead with the phrase, the kingdom of God is like, or the kingdom of God may be compared to. It is not the first ever parable that was taught by Jesus, but it represents the beginning of that ministry shift that we looked at last week. And he used these parables to speak of God's kingdom. Specifically, this parable talks about entering God's kingdom. The responses to the message of God that are found here in this parable, that are represented by the soils in the parable, they, they, they represent, or they, we represent the, the reaction of people to the message of God. And the way we respond to the message of God determines our eternity. The earthly story then, which is the vehicle of this, uh, of this picture, is a sower sowing seed. Now this would have connected immediately to, to Jesus' audience. Many, most, if not all of the people listening there either had, were farmers or knew someone who was. Israel's a very agricultural area. And it's, maybe, you know, we can't extrapolate what was going on where, you know, when they were sitting there, but maybe even there's someone out across they can see across the way a sower sowing his seed in his field. And Jesus' parable accomplishes its purpose uh, of taking the, the heavenly truth of God and, and putting it in a, this form where the, the hearing or the, the desiring listener will seek out more information. And we see that's what happens before the disciples, Jesus' closest followers, are learning from Jesus more about this parable later on. If you skip down to Matthew 13 and verse 18, Jesus is speaking then just to, the, just to his disciples, and he says, Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. The disciples wanted to know more. And so Jesus told them, because the seeking, receptive heart is rewarded by God. The one who in faith seeks after God will be rewarded by God by more knowledge of him. God will always help the willing, seeking listener draw closer to him. And so in order to fully understand the parable, I want to first, let's clarify the parts of the parable tonight. We read in, in Luke chapter 8, verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. So 
when we look at these parts and we start to kind of break them apart, okay, the first one we have from Jesus is this, that the seed in the parable represents God's message or God's word. And we'll talk about here in just a minute um, that, that Jesus is the one speaking here. So when he speaks, he's speaking the message of the word of God. When Jesus preached, you know, he, like in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7, when he preaches the Sermon on the Mount, he's preaching the word of God. When you open your Bible and you read there the word of God, the seed represents the word of God. So then the sower is the giver of God's word. When Jesus preached, he preached to the multitudes, he preached to the people there who were listening to him, uh, it was him. He was the giver of God's word. But it could be applied to any preacher or any Christian who is sharing God's word. Anyone who's part of God's kingdom, giving God's word to someone else, is the one who's spreading the seed of the word of God, of the gospel. And then the soils then represent the hearts of the listeners. There are always, uh, there's always a dichotomy of people listening to the word of God. There's always different responses that are it's characterized by that. And the receptiveness of the soil to the seed illustrates the receptiveness of men's hearts to the message of God. The difference lies not in the messenger or the message, but in the response to that message. This parable isn't targeted at how to share the gospel better with other people. It isn't targeted at how to be a good sharer of the gospel or what message you should preach. The message is straightforward. It's it's the message of, of God. What this parable is targeted at is what kind of hearer of the word of God are you? What kind of reception does the word of God find in your life and in your heart? The focus of the parable that is on each soil and the heart represented by that soil. So tonight we'll take each of those in turn each, each one of the four, and we'll look at the soil, we'll, and we'll break down the picture of the soil and what I call soil characteristics, and that'll be a, the brief side of it. We just need to understand what, what's being said in the parable, and then we'll make some heart applications out of those characteristics that Jesus talks about. So the first one we see in verses 4 and in verse 19 is the picture of the hard heart. In verse 4, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds came and devoured them. Now in verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. So let's talk first about the picture of the soil that Jesus is talking about, that the seed is being sowed by the wayside. Well, the first soil here really can't be called soil at all. See, fields in first century Israel, they weren't, they weren't surrounded by fences or gates or walls. Uh, they were surrounded, they were using long, narrow strips that were surrounded by public footpaths. And so uh, day after day, people would tread these paths, going to wherever they were going. And so you can imagine that people walking on it day after day after day packs down the soil, right? It really becomes like asphalt, like, like what we would call like a sidewalk almost even today because of all the people that walked on it. And so the seed that lands here probably wouldn't even make an impression in the dirt it landed on, let alone go down and and take root. Actually, Luke tells us in Luke chapter 8 and verse 5 that this seed was trampled on on the pathway, that people were walking by and they trampled the seed and, and, and they ruined it. 
And what's left of that, the birds come in and make quick work of that seed and devour it for a meal. It's like the first century bird feeder by the side of the, of the field there. So this soil, if it's even fair to call it that, has nothing to do with the seed that landed on it. So that's, that's the characteristic of what that picture is. Now let's, let's make the hard application that Jesus talks about. Jesus says that this soil represents the one who hears the message but does not understand it. However, it's not understand due to a deficient message or a deficient speaker, but because of the listener's hardness of heart. It isn't that it was so high up here that he couldn't understand it. It's that his heart was so close to hearing anything from God that there's no way he's ever going to understand it because he doesn't care to hear it. We have pictured here one who is unconcerned or indifferent about the things of God. The things of God mean nothing to his life. He could take it, he could leave it. Really, he'd rather leave it. He's unconcerned about it. You know, if we wanted to picture that in our modern day, so to speak, maybe it's, you know, perhaps it's one who, who doesn't come to, to church unless he must. Maybe he, he comes out of a sense of duty or because a family member dragged him there. He sits with arms folded or, or readily distracts himself so as not to pay attention to the word of God, to the message that's being preached. He does everything he can to avoid anything to do with God. He hears the message, but he does not understand, for his heart is closed and hardened to the gospel. He has rejected God and his word for so long that the message of God's word just bounces off his heart like the seed would bounce off the path. You will find neither conviction nor brokenness over sin in his life. Instead, what you find is you find someone whose life embraces sin, embraces those things that God hates, revels in doing what is wrong, embraces that state that we're all born into, right? When we serve our sin. In a sense, then, he's convinced himself he's independent and doesn't need God. I'll be okay by myself. I got this figured out. I don't need God, I don't need his word, I don't need whatever he says about me, I'll be okay. He need not rely on the weak words of someone else, even the so-called God. Ironically, this hearer is neither independent nor unaffected by others. He may think he is, he may think he's okay, he may think that he has you know, he'll be okay and he doesn't need to be affected by other people. But what we learn from what Jesus says, that he is a victim and a prisoner of Satan himself. Because his hard-hearted rejection of God has steeled his heart and thus his soul from God's change. That's why Jesus says here in verse 19, the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. In so doing, in in this rejection of God, in this stealing of his heart against God and his word, he has opened himself up to Satan, swooping in like the birds to steal the little pieces of the seed of the gospel away. It never made an impression because he rejected it, and there's no hope of that because he sealed himself away from God. 
You know, contrary to what some people believe or what some people teach, Satan is very real and very active in the world we live in. He cares deeply about what is going on in God's kingdom because he wants it stopped. He pursues then the hard-hearted listener in an effort to keep him oblivious to what? To the eternal judgment that waits him after death. The listeners, this listener and his free will choice made to reject God and his word have very serious consequences. Because the Bible promises that it's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. And if one closes his heart to God, if one closes himself to the conviction of sin and wants nothing to do with God and wants nothing to do with what God says about him, then he will face judgment for that. He's a prisoner. And so we have here the hard heart. Jesus then secondly talks to us about the shallow heart. In verses 5 and 6, some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was, was up, they were scorched because they had no root. They withered away. Skip down to verses 20 and 21. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So let's talk first about what is, the, what is meant here in the, when it talks about soil. It talks about the stony places. The stony places mentioned, uh, it doesn't mean soil with rocks in it. And I think that's kind of the idea I always got. Like there's these huge rocks in the soil. Well, the farmer would take great care to remove any of the large rocks that were in the field or other objects. Instead, what's meant here is a thin layer of soil on top of bedrock. If you're going to grow plants, if you're going to grow plants that bring fruit, you need a deep soil. What's meant here is, is a shallow soil. Because of the shallowness of the soil, this seed would actually begin to sprout above ground long before it was time to do so. Because seeds, in order to germinate, right, they, they, need, they need light, they need water, they need the sun, right, they need the heat. Well, the shallow, and so what they do is they begin to grow down first. They begin to grow down and put their roots out to spread out. Well, the, the seed only can go so far in a shallow soil, and when that happens, it begins to spring up. The roots from that seed, though, they have not been established. And a good farmer would recognize this problem and know what was about to happen next. Because, you know, to the untrained eye and to the observer, this plant may appear healthy for a time. It may appear healthier, like there's no other seed springing up, but look at this one. But this plant because it has no roots, has no staying power. As the days grow hotter and the sun beats down, the weaknesses of this plant are exposed because it lacks an adequate root system to draw water and nutrients from the ground to sustain itself. And therefore, when the, in the hot, arid climate, especially of Israel, this, the plant would just wither and die. It has no hope of ever producing fruit. So what are the heart applications from this that Jesus says? Well, Jesus says this is a picture of the shallow heart. 
It is a heart that hears the message of God and it makes an emotional, even enthusiastic response. He made joyless, this one may joyless, joyously declare the story of his conversion. It may be somebody you know, they're even like the boldest witness for the gospel. He gives of his time and his money, but things don't last because things in his life begin to change. As one author said, an outburst of joy is not the distinguishing feature of an authentic conversion. And sometimes we get this idea that like, like people get saved and they're like, this is going to be great. And they're just going to spring out with joy. And you know, that doesn't always mean that someone truly understands the gospel and truly places their faith in Jesus Christ. Because what happens here is the going gets tough in this person's life and suddenly he seems to lose all interest in the things of God. He has no real roots and soon falls away from God, his word, and his work. And we look at that and we ask, why? Did he lose his salvation? Is he no longer one of God's children? No, really what happened is he was no longer a child of, he was no, he was no, no, he was not ever, words, a child of God to begin with. He was not truly one who placed his faith in Jesus Christ. He never came to that true saving knowledge of God in the first place. And he showed what may seem to be authentic signs of saving faith, but that fruit never, never bore out in his life. He had an emotional experience that affected his outward actions for a time. But there's been no true heart change. There is no remorse over sin. There is no brokenness before God, but he merely had what we may call a religious experience. His feelings were changed, but not his soul. And let me tell you, feelings do nothing for your eternal state. There are many times, as a Christian, as a follower of God, I don't feel like following God. Or I don't, let's say it this way, I don't feel very Christian. I feel like a sinner because that's who I am, but I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. And one who has this emotional experience, oh, this is great, I feel great, I feel good, I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel. They were never truly broken over their sin. They were never truly came to that point to understand what that means. And one who has an emotional experience, he can't keep up the facade because guess what? Feelings change. Jesus mentions here two specific things that expose this one for who he is. The first one he says is tribulations. Another way to say this is trials or tests. Maybe something like the loss of a job or sickness or a death of a family member. Those are all difficult things to face in and of themselves. Those who are truly rooted in Christ know, they know that God is in control of all things and can act on that knowledge and it bears fruit in their life that they trust in the Lord true followers of God then are different because conversely the one who of such shallow faith begins to question God and his goodness and he deems then he begins to question that and in his questioning he begins to deem that well God isn't really worth following I mean I told God I'd follow him and then this happened to me why would I want to follow God he's not really that good secondly Jesus says persecution exposes this one, that the message of Christ, he begins to find out the message of Jesus Christ isn't universally accepted. 
Paul said the message of the cross is, is offensive to people. Those who follow God will in this fallen world experience persecution for their faith. And this one may experience rejection by former friends or miss out on opportunities because of his faith. But whatever the case, really in a nutshell, it wasn't the program he signed up for. It wasn't, oh, it's all going to be great now. And he wishes to be back where he was. And because of these trials or these persecutions, Jesus says that he stumbles in his faith. He falls away from the faith because he was never truly rooted in God. And this is one of those things, like we look at it and we're like, I kind of get it, but not. Let me, let me illustrate it for you this way. I'll just share with you a personal experience in my own life. When I was in college, um, I had the opportunity to work in a youth group uh, that was close to our to our school there in Greenville, South Carolina. And, and um, there was a youth pastor. He let me serve there with him. And so one Sunday, uh, we were in church, um, and there was a, a, a teenager. His name was John, and he was visiting his grandmother. He, he came from a rough home. He came from a, a pretty rough background. And so he was visiting his grandmother. He's from New York, and he's, he was there. And, and he goes forward at the end of the service and makes a profession of faith. And let me tell you about John, okay? John, for the next several weeks was the happiest guy you've ever met. He, he was, you know, talking about God and talking about these things and coming to, to church and he would show up on Saturday to knock on doors and pass out tracts. I mean, John was committed, right, to following God. And he, he packs up all his stuff and he moves from New York and he comes down to South Carolina to live with his grandmother because he wants to go to Christian school. And he goes to Christian school and about two or three weeks into school, things don't go so well for John. He doesn't make the basketball team. And he's not getting all the things he thought he was going to get. And very slowly, John doesn't show up to church so much anymore. And John doesn't come around much anymore. And, and I talk to the youth pastor. He says, yeah, I hear from John every once in a while. And we see him around. And that's about it. And I just tell you, like, the last time, one well, of the last few times I've looked, you look at John, on, you find him on social media he doesn't look like a follower of Christ. He kind of looks like anybody else in the world. I look at that, and I'm like, what happened? Well, what happened is John had an emotional experience, right? But it was shallow. It wasn't true faith in God. He said, well, how do you know that? You will know them by their fruits. There's no fruit in the life of John. The message of Christ cannot be embraced lightly. Jesus told, told us and his followers that we must count the cost of discipleship. Commitment to follow Christ is not an emotional, if you do this, things are going to be, you know, you're going to have health, wealth, and a condo on the beach. It is a commitment to Christ. It is a realization. I can't save myself. I need God. I, I have sin. I, and Christ will give me his righteousness. And it is a commitment to this life of following Christ. That's what we talked about this morning a little bit. This is the shallow heart. The one who does not truly have faith in God, though he seemed to experience that. Jesus then talks about the strangled heart. In verse 7, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. That's verse 22. 
So the third type of soil that Jesus spoke of in the parable is the thorny or the weedy soil. This seed fell into an area that was not intended to be part of the field, and as such, it was not tended to. Perhaps the ground was turned over at some point, but no weeds were removed or no seeds from previous infestations of weeds were removed. And the weeds began to grow in that same area as that seed. And if you know anything about weeds, I mean, they're plants just like that, but they're greedy, right? They want the sun. They want the water. They, they, they battle the, the true seed. And they begin to block out the light. And you could say it this way, the life is sucked out of that plant, of that seed that landed there. The hard applications of this is that the one with a strangled heart has a life so full of worldly preoccupations that the word of God, that seed of the word of God, finds no root in his life. Now, maybe he's not actively opposed to God's word like the hard-hearted one, but he just really isn't given it any priority in his life. Matthew mentions here two things that choke out God's word in this person's heart, and Mark and Luke mention a third. I'll show you Luke's passage here in Luke chapter 8 and verse 14. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. Really, in a nutshell, this person is too in love with the world and its things to accept God. He is first then preoccupied with what Jesus called the cares of this world. Another way to put this, I I like one author said, the worries of this age. It is a heart that is preoccupied with the things in the here and now only. And it could be very practical things. The exam to be taken, the bills to be paid, the family time that must be honored, the ball games that must be played or watched or attended. And those things that I just mentioned, they're not necessarily bad in and of themselves, You know, some of those things you think, well, that's a good thing, you know, you should pay your bills in life, right? But there is an undue precedence given to these things that crowds out God's word, the cares of this world. And we look at, they look at it and they say, I got to take care of this, got to do that, got to do that, got to do that, 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 and no precedence is given at all to the word of God. Secondly, Jesus talks about the deceitfulness of riches and how it chokes out God's word. And this is beyond what one must have to live. It's talking about a status of wealth. And if there's ever one um, that probably, perhaps we resonate more as, as Americans, it's this. We live in a very wealthy nation. We live in a nation that's very blessed. I know we look around and we think, well, I mean, I'm not like, you know, the guy who owns Amazon or whatever. But, but compared to the rest of the world, we live pretty well. The world sells a bill of goods stating that if you have enough money, you'll be good. The problem is, no one ever seems to know what enough is. They just want a little bit more. Riches are deceitful. Jesus says this is the deceitfulness of riches because money cannot make you happy. Money can't redeem your soul. Money can't assuage your guilt. Money can't make your problems go away. And money can't keep your struggles at bay. Only God can meet the deepest needs of your soul. 
Only God and his word has the answers on how you raise your children, on how to fix your struggling marriage, on how to have victory over that addicting sin, on how to find lasting satisfaction. Money is a tool to be used and a terrible master to serve. In its right place, there's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with some people having more money than other people. God never says in his word, it's a sin to have money. It's a sin to be rich. It's a sin to, but he has several warnings about the deceitfulness of those riches. Because if we give it precedence, it will block out God's word. Lastly, Jesus mentions from Luke 8, the pleasures of life. This can go along with riches because really it's kind of a catch-all. It's a desire for all the things in life that one thinks he needs to be happy. Whether it's possessions, experiences, excuses, these things take precedence over his life with God because I need that to make myself happy. I need that to find pleasure in life. And we see that a preoccupation with one's own pleasure and desires to be fulfilled will stop up one's ears to the word of God. Sure, he may hear God's word, but there's no root there because he's got all these other things going on and all these things he's got to take care of and, and these riches, maybe the riches to attend to or the pleasures to seek after. And after, you know, it's just deafening his ears, so to speak, to the word of God. And like the other two soils, this one will bear no fruit. True godly growth in the life of a person is obvious. A smokescreen of good deeds or religious actions will not last or fool anyone indefinitely. You put on the happy face, you put on the let's go to church, right? You can only do that for so long. For what we truly are begins to come out. And then lastly, Jesus shares that the last response to this is the receptive heart. In verses 8 and 23, But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So lastly, you have the good soil, so to speak, here, right? This is the soil that's been cultivated. It's been prepared to receive the seed. And the seed that falls here will find an environment in which it will thrive, in which it will grow. And it goes on to, we see the success of that seed. And the success is measured in the fact that it bears fruit. That seed goes and it it gives fruit to the farmer for him to to enjoy, to sell, to whatever it is that he's going to do with it. The farmer is rewarded for his faithful work. Let's apply that to our hearts. The, The person of a receptive heart both hears, Jesus says, and understands God's word. He understands the word of God not through his own abilities or his own mind, but through the work of the Holy Spirit applying that word to his heart. God uses his word to speak to the heart of the hearer, and this one moves towards God and seeks to understand and submit to what he has heard. 
there's a, an action, a reaction taken to God. He hears the word of God, and, and God uses his spirit to begin to reveal those things to him. And he's the receptive hearer. He's the one uh, that, that God's word, the parables reveal God to. And this is one, then, who comes to a true saving faith in Christ. And how is that borne out in his life? He bears fruit. The mark of a true growing Christian is a fruitful life. That fruit is certainly seen in how we live our lives. We talk about bearing fruit. I think a lot of times we think of that passage in Galatians, right? The fruit of the Spirit. We look at that and we see, we, we, we have to evaluate our own lives, our own hearts, and say, is God growing fruit in my life? Our actions and growth in the Lord are part of that fruit. It's also seen in sharing the gospel with others. God talks about that being fruit that's born out in our lives, that we share with them the message of the gospel, and he allows us to be some part of that, uh, that of them coming to know him. And you see that some bears a hundredfold, some bears 60, and some bears 30-fold. Look at that and you realize not every plant produces the same amount of fruit. Not every believer produces the same amount of fruit, so to speak, right? I think sometimes we get this idea, if I don't go out and witness to 15 people and seven of them get saved, then I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. God doesn't measure it in numbers. He measures it in our faithfulness. Because it's God who does the work. It's God who uses us. God gives us all differently and works in and through us. And in God, really, the possibilities are limitless as to how much fruit we can bear and how he can use us. But it requires submission to him and obedience to his word. It requires a heart open and ready to grow in him. And so what we see tonight, then again, is receptive hearts hear and receive God's word and thereby produce fruit. So I want to go back to the question from the you know, let's, let's go back to that, that part about the parables at the beginning. What do the word, and let's ask ourselves this, what do the words of God in this parable reveal about our hearts? What kind of soil do you see in your heart? We have to ask God to help us to evaluate ourselves. I think there's two questions that we can ask to begin with. One, am I growing? Do you see yourself growing in Christ and producing fruit? Do you see yourself as, I have a desire to grow, I want to grow in God? And the second question follows that quickly, and that is, where can I grow more in God? See, here's something we can do as as Christians. We can become complacent. We can become satisfied with where we grow. We shouldn't be that way. Instead, we ought to be asking God to continue to grow us, to continue to to expand that fruit in our lives, to give us those opportunities to be fruitful for him. Maybe there's one who sits here tonight and you don't know the life-changing power of the gospel. You have not found new life in Christ. Perhaps there's one of the hard heart who has rejected Christ. Maybe you know someone like that in your life. Perhaps it's the shallow or the strangled heart, and you've never had more than this, a religious experience in your life. If you sit there and you say, Man, I don't really know if I've ever come to that knowledge of Christ, you could cry out to God and come to Him. 
He wants you to, he wants to be your savior. And so I think probably many of us in this room sit here tonight and say, well, I, I do know Christ. I do have new life in him. I think there's a, a very um, important application of this parable to our lives. Because I think, uh, though the primary application of Jesus in the parable is to, to those who reject God outright or seemed to accept God but didn't, I think it's possible that as Christians we can have characteristics of these soils in our lives as followers of God. It's, it's, it's quite possible that in your life there are things God's asked you to do or God's called you to do or God's put his finger on in your life and you say, well, I got to worry about this. So I got to take care of that. And I got it. And you begin to, it's like the, the weeds, right? They begin to choke out those things in your life. Or you, you begin to chase after the pleasures of this life. Or maybe we just shut the door and Tell God we don't want to change that. Where are, we not, where are you not grounded in God so much that when trials come, you want to give up? What kind of stuff in the world has your attention more than God's? I think it's very possible that we have multiple types or characteristics of these soils in our lives because we have things that we have not fully given to God, but we hold those back and say, well, that's mine. God wants us to be completely open to him and to his work in our lives. And he cannot use us if we do not ask him to break up our hard hearts, to deepen our soil, and to weed out our lives, to give his word the ability to change us completely from the inside out. As we talked about from Philippians chapter 2 this morning, God has given us, he's given us his power to change us. But we have to commit to that. We have to submit to him and and seek that change. And he will do that for us. You and I undoubtedly know people in our lives who don't know Jesus Christ. And we have the opportunity to share with them the gospel. And even something like this tonight, it, it reminds us of who God is and what he's done for us. And it should challenge us to be actively sharing the gospel with others. And so tonight... May we take these things to heart and may we think about what Jesus has said in the parable and may we seek out those with whom we can share the gospel and may we look forward to what will come one day in eternity with God in heaven.